0: Welcome to another episode of Freya Radio. I'm so glad that you guys are here because today we got something special. You know how I always talk about um, it's always important for every dude to have men in his life that are a dad. May not be the dad that brought you into the world, but he's going to be a dad. Somebody that can walk you through things, kind of uh, provide some guidance where necessary or even just I- encourage. And uh, today I have uh, one of my dads here who is also an amazing businessman. We'll get into some of the business stuff for all you businessmen that are out there that are that are uh, maybe needing some encouragement in the business arena or maybe things are tough for business right now uh, because we are kind of in a crazy climate right now uh, with our economy and starting a business operating a business all those things are kind of kind of tough but uh and I always say that you know we're going to talk about adversity a lot on this uh on this show Bram Radio and it's a um uh, today is today is no different in fact today's even more special because um I have one of my dad's his name is Sandy Wheeler he's here with us today he is a vietnam veteran he's a uh he's a cpa he's uh um he started a uh, it was a, a little small little um enterprise that you once had called Boflex. Cool. and and <laughs> and now he has some new technologies that he's about to unleash and uh and it's going to be something that is going to be Huge and revol- uh, revolutionary for military members, first responders, or anybody that has any kind of health conditions that could have a an end that could be devastating to a family. He has a solution that we'll get into that as well. But uh, first, I want to welcome one of my dads, Mr. Sandy Wheeler. Yeah, yeah Sandy. Hey, thanks a bunch. <laughs> it's, good it's good to have you. Applause. What an applause! Day. Oh yeah, yeah. That's something that we do. <laughs> sorry. Little, that was a tradition that we started up, just kind of on not even really knowing we were doing it, did we? Just, uh, just one day, I just started clapping when I introduced somebody with Mitchy. It was the first guy we ever had. I just started doing that. Then since then, it's just taken up. speed. Now it sounds like we have a ton of people in here just because Samson right there. So, Sandy, glad you're here. Thanks for coming down. Flew in this morning from Washington State. No issues whatsoever with that flight. Every- not other than a two-hour delay. <laughs> just like every flight these days there was some kind of little hiccup yeah and 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 here we are and uh anyway thanks for being here and making making the trip to uh and it wasn't just to spend time with do this but we have a few other things that we have planned shenanigans that have to do with what you what you have going on which is simply amazing but um but uh by way of introduction I did a uh you know a, a marginal job at best at introducing you, but uh, I'd love for you to take a minute and just describe to uh, our audience, who is Sandy Wheeler? Well, I always like to
1: classify it as uh, I'm a guy who's getting older, been married 52 years to the same lady, Uh, have five children, 12 grandchildren, three great-grandchildren, which I... Obviously feel way too young for that, but yeah. So grew up in uh, Washington state on the Eastern slope. Um, Just a kid who grew up in the apple country and uh, ended up going over to Vietnam. As you know, I had a top secret clearance and uh, I think I was pretty fortunate. I got to work with third Marine recon over there, 101st airborne first air cab, and then the Mac V group. And, um, for whatever reason, hit it off with the Admiral. Uh, that's always a good one to um, be around. And right. So I got to do really cool stuff so much that um, I extended one time. And then my dad, who was an old Marine, he um, decided that he wanted to hit me up for promising not to extend again. So I ended up spending 18 months in Vietnam and uh, came home and, like anyone, you kind of have uh, a cheering of, uh, I'm, I'm going to make the trip home safe and sound. Uh, I left there on April 5th of 1970, arrived home on April 7th, and in the meantime, one of my best friends from uh, high school, unfortunately, was hit with a sniper bullet and was killed. So I arrived home to find out about that, and it was uh, for a— at that time, 21-year-old kid, um, I was really impacted. Uh, it just took me a step back. So I had great memories of Vietnam. Uh, I remember my dad asking me, why'd you do that? And I said, you know, um, I thought back really on the world. I, first of all, I had lost a friend of mine who was uh, a senior when I was a sophomore playing football. He went over there, he was in a track unit. Uh, they went through a no-fire zone. They asked to return fire, was denied, and he was killed. Mm. So part revenge, I think, and then I said, but the really thing I told my dad that I really thought about was that somebody paid a price for me and you and everybody that's around and your audience and that. Someone paid the price for us to live in this great nation, mm. and we didn't know who they were. And I just thought that if the South Vietnamese people really had that desire to have the kind of freedom we get, raise my hand.
0: yeah. yeah. and as for what reason I was willing to go. yeah uh, I always have, I've heard it a few times where people say that the the and, and it's so true it's and it's something I've never forgotten is it is the the greatest the, the people who desire freedom the most for other people are going to be free people and free people are going to be the ones who are willing to, to, uh, to make that payment, no matter how big for freedom, because it is, it is, it is so, it is so important. It is so crucial to the, the human existence for a human to be able to operate at their optimum requires freedom. And you don't have to go far in this world to find people not free and and you look at how they live and you look at the things that are happening in and inside their communities as unfree people and it's and it's 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 devastating the way that they treat certain um sections of people different races or, or religions or people that they view as less than them you know that's that those are all those are all things that are that are happening that that are um i think attributes of just not being free and i mean I appreciate that. Thank you for your service. That's, that's, uh, uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate you. And, uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, so, so, Car, I didn't mean to, to jump on you there. Could, to carry on your story, yeah. No, yeah. It was just,
1: uh, that's what, what I did. And I remember, um, when I found out my friend was killed, I, I literally took my horse mainly because horses don't talk back to you. They may do other things to you, but they don't talk back. This is after you got home. This is after I got home, and I found out Dennis had died. I just kept constantly going into the mountains, and uh, you know, just having my time alone. I, I was trying to process. Uh, Dennis unfortunately um, had a little boy that was not yet born, and really. Quite honestly, even though at that time I didn't really know God personally, I remember complaining about why him versus me. Um, I'd have been willing to exchange that. And they say, "Wow, well, that's easy to say, and, but it really was in my heart. Um, I struggled with why him. But we've all had those things because war, unfortunately, just picks and chooses who ends up on the other part of life. And we don't get to raise our hand every time. We, I thought about it on the way down here. I was thinking about why the United States is called home of the brave. We, we have a really special group of people. And they're, they're willing to lay their life down for someone else. And that's kind of hard to fathom because most of life's not that way. But we do it willingly. And, um, and then get to enjoy this incredible freedom that we have. And like I know, Bram, you've been around a long time, not as long as me, but a long time. And, and what you guys represent to us who are a guy like me is I just say, you're the best of the best. And, and our nation's built on that. And I'm just so appreciative that we get the opportunity to raise our hand. And I remember a story you told me um, when you were really young, Navy SEAL, and it really impacted my life. And I realized that you volunteered for a mission that ultimately didn't take place, but you raised your hand and said, I'll go because the prognosis of that mission was that we won't have any trouble inserting
0: you, but the extraction may not happen. Mm-hmm. And it takes big I It's really funny, I was the Evata SEAL team when that one came down? That was a That was a weird, weird one. Now, there's probably only about five people around, I think, that could even tell the story that were even in the room when that happened, but... uh but, uh, I remember making phone calls to people that I know that I had wronged and just said, Hey, you know, um, um, if I offended you or if I hurt you or if I did anything, you know, um, I'm sorry and I was wrong and I hope you can forgive me, which, uh, is something that I always have my kids always say. But, uh, they never knew until now. One of them sitting right there, I, they never knew like where that started. But, uh, yeah that was it and it never never happened. it fizzled out and I remember they had me on standby had to go and even get my lease try to get out of my lease and I was working on that for the apartment I was living in It never yeah and it it also just fizzled out. I just stopped hearing about it. I was like well, I guess it's not happening so and that just happens in life.
1: we just uh from the time we're born, one thing we know is we have a destiny. we just don't know when that time is up, yeah, yeah.
0: You come home from Vietnam and how was that? You know Dr. Greg. Yep, I do. Well. Right. I do. And uh, which is one of my favorite things about, about my dads is that they all know each other. <laughs> and so, um, you know you know Dr. Greg. We know him as Pastor Greg. And um I had him here and he was talking about uh, about traumas, and he was talking about the way that we process the things that have happened in our lives that are traumatic, and they may not be combat-related. They can be childhood-related or attached to a relationship or some abuse that happens sometime in your life, Um, but his book, The Warfighter's Soul, it really it dives into both but the one thing that I'm face to face with quite often now, just in this with our, with our, the currents, the currency of things like the, the current situation that we're in with a lot of our veterans in that, that a lot of them are, are, uh, choosing suicide as their solution for things because they don't see a way out. It's just too dark where they are. And, um, I know that, uh, you know, when you came home, just from the stories that you've told me that you had, you had a, you, you, you created some separation. That was your way of, of dealing with it. Right. I did. Yeah. It's like just getting out. Now you mentioned that You just, you had a horse cause the horse's not going to talk to you. Yeah. But he's going to be there. Yeah. And, uh, just got on your horse and just went one direction and just stayed out there for a while. How long did you stay out there? It was about, well, I would
1: do it till I ran out of supplies. So usually, you know, it was six, seven days at a time. And then I think my mom kind of figured out my method of travel and what I was doing. And so she intervened and uh, got a hold of an uncle of mine that was like one of the leaders in all of agriculture and the apple industry up where we lived and uh, kind of sideswiped me with a call when I, came down. And he was a guy that I remember when I worked for him in high school, he always had a watermelon and a game of pool at the end of the day. And then he loved to talk agriculture. And uh, so I just happened to be home grabbing supplies. And I get a call, of course, out of the blue, but it wasn't out of the blue. Um, his name was Grady. Great guy. He said, uh, hey, so what's happening? I said, bad, ah, nothing much. Um, just taking my horse and Spending time in the mountains. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, just so happens I have a watermelon and a pool game thinking, come on up. And I did, and that was a a great change for me uh, because when he got me up there, then he said, hey, why don't you run my orchard crew for the summer? And I started to do that, and then I thought maybe I'd play football in college, and so I did that. So it started to transition me out of, um, I'll just call it a sinkhole. Uh, I'm not sure where it would have gone because guess what? It didn't go there. But I began to do that, and then I played football just until I had a couple knee operations. But it got my mind back on track of just saying there's more to life than just hunkering down and pulling away from everybody. So what happened next? So there's more
0: to life. What happened? What would you do? When I did the... So the, you uh, like the? I mean, there was there was school in there somewhere, and then there was a family starting.
1: So I did. I, I uh, actually it's kind of an interesting story because um, uh, a guy called me up and wanted me to teach martial arts to a group of high school kids and other people. Uh, that the instructor up and left the town, and they had heard I knew a little bit about it, and so I went down, checked it out, and said, "Okay, I'll do that." So that really was a part of a transition for me into helping others. And in helping others, I really realized when I look back, I was really helping me. Mm, yeah, uh, It's kind of an amazing part of life that, that comes around. So I began to do that and I went to college and um, um, it was perfect timing because had I extended again, I would have never met my wife. Mm. and And there's a once I become saved, then I realize how I could go back and look at all the pieces and how they were perfectly timed. Yeah. Because if I extend one more time, I don't meet this gal that was so beautiful. I, I remember the first time I saw her, uh, I was looking across the, kind of the student union building, and I see this gal, and I mean, I was just locked into her beautiful blue eyes, and she had this incredible... Incredible smile, and I just thought, well, I think I'd like to go out with that girl. <laughs> the only thing is, I got turned down five times, so I don't know what that says for <laughs> me. But ironically, what was really the, the incredible thing is that I was teaching her dad martial arts, and he was a big old Swedish guy, incredible temper. But I came to to really like him, and so the first time I really got a date with Diana that was her name, Diana, um, he had this bright blue Willish Jeep, and I remember turning the corner, and all of a sudden, I'm realizing, oh, my gosh, if this does go anywhere, (laughs) I've got it made with the dad, and, uh, because George and I, that was his name, George, were just so close, and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, because you get, to Exchange some blows and have a little contact, sure. and it just yeah. makes life really
0: interesting. Yeah,
1: and so I look back and I see that God had a perfect timing for me.
0: Mm. Uh, so the girl you saw in the, the student union area just so happened to be his daughter. His daughter, and there there was no no way of being able to pre- like even predict that it was just it just worked out that way. Yeah, you can say it worked out that way. It worked out You know,
1: again, when you get saved, you come back and you realize, and you can look at the footprint and the hands on that God was really setting you up for everything that was going to happen in your life. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%.
0: And um, I know my kids really, really enjoyed getting to know her uh, because Sam and Micah, like the whole family, we came up to see you and- see your, uh, your good, like, like stay with you. And I mean, it was, it was so, I like, think you know, we were up there. I, I might've been speaking at your church. I'm not sure what we were doing up there that this time frame, but I remember you taking the, taking the boys out in the quad and we we're out running around and, and, uh, you're just driving around. The boys are just doing everything that moms would not ever tolerate. They're climbing around on top of the quad. They're, yeah. outside of it, holding on to the side, doing what you would expect them to do. And, uh, and, uh, I one how we even did some shooting. And yeah, we did. Like that. If you remember right, we took
1: sunflower petals, and they had to hit a petal. They had to tell us based on the clock That's right. where it was. Yeah, you, you couldn't just say, I'll hit a petal. You had to tell us which one. And if you remember right, that was, it was a highlight for me. I, I just love that kind of stuff. And, yeah. um, Trace was out there with us. Yep, Trace was with us. Yeah. And uh, it was just a great day that's forever etched in my memory. And that's what life's really about, right? Is creation of memories. Mm-hmm. And that was a very special time. And if you remember right, we're walking down afterwards to have dinner at that Mexican place. That's and right. I introduced you to a Leo? Navy guy Leo? Leo that... Cope. Yes. And Leo was one of the initial frogmen mm-hmm. with uh, yeah. the Navy, and nobody in our town knew that. Him and I became friends for why, I have no idea. And yet we became so close, and um, that was just a highlight. I remember you talking to him for like 30, 40 minutes mm-hmm. because you were so intrigued with his life that he he never shared with I'd say less than a handful of people in our yep. entire town. Mm-hmm.
0: Very cool, yeah. And uh, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun for me because it's kind of like sitting down with your military grandpa, and and he was asking me questions. So what's this like now? And what are they doing now about this? And they were such smart questions, but they had they had an impetus that was based in his memory of something that was way back. What are you doing now? Um, for wetsuits, you guys wear wetsuits now, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like yeah, the, the days of coating our bodies with axle grease are, <laughs> Yeah, you <I> know, <laughs> it, that was it was amazing
1: how he explained what he did and how tense that was. And yet, I tell you, it it reminds you the people who really do accomplish big things hardly ever share it. Yeah, and they just kind of keep it to it. And for him. Uh, in our town, like I said, about not five people knew about him. Yeah. And we got the opportunity to honor him at another one of the events that I would brought you guys up to, which was our grand parade. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I think we
0: skydived if, into it.
1: Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, And so we got the opportunity to do that and introduce him to our community because nobody even knew yeah. the kinds of things that he did. And that was really honoring to me. And I know he was incredibly honored because we had all his grandkids come and he didn't know they were gonna be there. Yeah, and great. what a special opportunity because yeah. those guys
0: really raised their hand and said, Here am I, send me Right. Right. It was, uh, totally cool. And and uh and and just for context sake so people understand, like the town is not that small. Like it's it's this is Wenatchee and Wenatchee a it's a pretty good sized town and it's surrounded with just the most beautiful landscaping massive rolling apple orchards and uh a river that runs runs through town and just uh it was i mean it's just an incredible place it's definitely a little slice of heaven you know, where you where you live so yeah we That's like awesome. to think so yeah so um, yeah, um so you know, Diana in the picture, you guys you guys end up getting married and, and having kids, but I wanna I wanna talk a minute about where where Bullflex comes into play. Like how how did that work? Like where like there was there was something that started with Bullflex. There was something that there was something that I think for you um, there was like a, a, a corner that was rounded where you, you said a little bit earlier, you said, you know, there's 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 got to be more. There clearly was. And it wasn't something that was that small. It was something big where it was like you grew something and you ended up taking it public. Like, walk me through that process. Like, how did that work? Well, it, it started with me getting my education
1: and going to college, of course. And uh, I became a, did a degree in accounting, became a CPA. Went to, One of my visions, once I decided I wanted to do accounting, I wanted to work for one of the, in those days, it was called the Big Eight Accounting Firms, so the eight big international accounting firms. So I set my goal on that and uh, achieved that. And so I was working for Pete Marwick Mitchell, it was called, so now you'd know it as KPMG. Mm. But back in those days, Pete Marwick Mitchell in Seattle. And, um... Unfortunately, I had the out-of-town audits, and uh, eventually they're asking me, uh, Diana's saying, oh, I really want to move back to Wenatchee because you're gone all the time. And uh, so for the sake of, of her, I decided to do that. It wasn't the perfect timing for me, but I got to do, like Alieska would be one client you would know, so when that little management company started the oil fields in Alaska, we did the audit right from the beginning. So I was, um, wasn't the best timing for, for a guy like me when you're working in the career of accounting? Because that was my dream. Uh, but for the sake of the woman I loved, I made that decision.
0: Not many people are going to say accounting is my dream job. Well, I
1: didn't even know what accounting was even like. Uh, It's kind of humorous how I got into it because uh, a professor at the college had asked me one day if I would speak about Vietnam uh, for his son's high school class. And I'd never talked to anybody about it, so I don't even know how he got my name. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it begrudgingly. And uh, actually, it went really well. Um, it was to mostly seniors, if I remember right. And I just talked about volunteering, being able to raise your hand. Uh, and that's all I really did. And, and so I told him about some of the things of Vietnam and the struggles and what took place. And out of that, the, the son obviously reported back to his dad. And then the dad chased me down. And he said, hey, I heard it went really well. Um, what's your major? I said, well, I don't know. I was going to go into engineering, but the, at that time, the engineering field was really clogged, and um, I said, so I don't really know. He said, well, why don't you take one of my classes? I said, well, what's that? He goes accounting. I said, what's that? So I didn't even have a clue. Um, I was just relatively good with numbers, and he kind of told me a little bit about it, and I thought, well, I'll go try the class and did that class and then um really liked it um it was just very methodical a lot of busy work but um yeah that's how it got started it was just kind of a crazy invitation and i knew that the more i checked into it, it it was actually a very good career and since i was the only one in my family to go to college um, I thought,
0: i want to make this thing count, and um, yeah. so I did. So that, that led somehow into business thoughts and ideas. And... Well,
1: accounting, especially what I did, uh, you have basically two sides in those days. You had the tax side, which is preparing income taxes, and then you had the auditing side, which is going in and creating an opinion by auditing somebody's financial statements. So they come to you with their financial statements that they wanted to present to the bank, but the bank wants the independent third party to say, yeah, I think these are fairly presented. And I love that part because of all the uniqueness. First of all, you got to climb inside the minds of a lot of different CEOs and their COOs and even their CFOs. So chief financial, chief operating officer, and chief executive officer. So when you go to audit, you get to look at all that. How they set this company up? What are the internal controls to keep it from being ripped off? And, of course, Alyosko was an incredible audit for me. Think of it as brand new with major oil companies and this little tiny management company that somehow tied up all the contracts on the North Slope oil. And that company was out of Bellevue, Washington, of all things. It was so interesting that when I went up there, even the guy that had created the accounting run manual, so you create an accounting system and then you create a run manual as to, okay, how do I make this thing run? And the guy had left without, and he took the run manual, so they didn't even have that. The bottom line was it was so incredibly interesting. Uh, And our um, accountability, what they say is, uh, what's an important standard for you? Well, for us, we weren't supposed to look at anything under $100,000. Can you imagine? Mm. $100,000. If there was a check under $100,000, don't even waste your time because it wasn't material. And that's an accounting term to say, woo, if this thing happens or this amount, that would be material. Let's make sure we look at it. So for me, I just happen. I'm a guy earning Back in those days, uh, 1974, I was earning $17,500. And I'm watching this check come through all the time, every month, and it was $99,000. I wasn't supposed to look at it. But the curiosity had me, because I'm just going, I make 17500 in a whole year. And this engineering firm is billing them ninety-nine thousand every month. I start looking at it. I'm not supposed to look at it. And like pretty I'm on soon, the wrong side of this
0: deal, I need to be. Yeah. Open.
1: <laughs> so I say, finally, I go to the partner in charge. And I said, I know I'm not supposed to be looking at this. So I fess up. That's that's another character deal you want to do is fess up.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I told him I was doing that, and I said, I'm telling you something's wrong. Something's up on this. So he comes, and sure enough, we dive into it. Well, that guy who did that, that was billing him 99000 in engineering services, was not doing one thing. He knew the guy who set up the counting manual, who didn't leave the run manual for everybody else, so he had a, a back door, and he was simply knowing that if I bill 99000 the auditors aren't even going to look at it. So that's why he got 99000 every month. But in the end, it's like anything else, right? When you know what's right and you choose to do wrong, it could come back on you. That's right. And that did that day for that guy because, sure enough, he had been billing and didn't provide any consulting charge at all to Alaska. Mm-hmm. Well, the oil companies would have never noticed that because it's like, You're pulling out 10 cents out of your pocket. pocket It was nothing. So out of that, I began to learn about lots of different businesses. And somewhere along the line, I remember I got invited down to Tahoe to speak to a, a group of business people who aren't even around today. And they're called jobbers. And they used to be in the old days, the guys who brought the fuel trucks to the various gas stations were these little independent, they called it jobbers. So somehow I had done something, so I got invited to speak to this whole group. And I was down there, and out of the blue, I get a call from a guy from Stanford. And I can't even tell you his name today. But the guy goes, well, Sandy, I'm so-and-so, and and sometime back you did a real favor for me. I can't even tell you what the favor is. It just didn't lock in. And he said, hey, I have this uh, Ethiopian kid who I think has developed an interesting piece of exercise equipment, um, I'd like to show it to you. And I said, well, I just happened to be in Tahoe, so he was in San Francisco. And I said, well, if you want to drive up, um, I'll take a look. And I'll never forget those guys, um, this Ethiopian kid, Dosho Shiferaw was his name. And then this guy from Stanford, and they got there and we pulled it out. Well, this piece of equipment had these crazy-looking rods that, flip from horizontal to, to lateral, and then it had a bench that laid flat on the floor, and what I do was you could fold it up, and if I had an apartment, I could just fold it up and put it in my closet. My apartment's clean, and yet any time I wanted to work out, I could do. doesn't remotely compare with going to a gym. It was never designed to do that, but I, I remember I liked it. I like this kid, and so I wrote him a check, and I remember the amount was $10,000, and this is in 1985, so $10,000 was a lot of money, and I wrote him a check, and I said, why don't you go back, I want a professional prototype made of this, and I'll see you in Seattle in X amount of weeks, I imagine, I I don't even remember today what I said, except that, meet me in Seattle. So sure enough, the day he arrived when he was meeting me in Seattle, and I had a group of guys that I was going to have a look at that as possible investors. And I remember he had it all boxed up, and he pulled it out of the box. And when I saw it, the thing was all black. The next time I get to see it, when he pulls it out of that box, it's all white, spray-painted white, and you can imagine what that looked like. So he had taken my $10,000 and did not make a professional prototype. (laughs) I didn't have a lot of patience, and I'm way more patient today at 75 than I was in those days. But I basically told him, take that piece of equipment, and I don't know what my exact words were, but they weren't real sweet, and maybe stuff that. And I said, I don't want to ever see you again. The guy from Stanford that next week calls me, and he said, um, "I feel I need to explain what took place." I said, "Okay, I'm listening." He said, "Well, Dosho and a brother and another sister were part of royalty out of Ethiopia. Uh, I believe it was Haile Selassie was the the head of Ethiopia in those days, and they were related to him." And he said, "Those three were going to Stanford, University of San Francisco, and I believe Berkeley." That's the three colleges they were going to. Everything was paid by mom and dad. They got their checks every month, and that's what they lived off of. But when that took place and Haile Selassie was overthrown, immediately that kid's funds stopped. They had no more money. All his family and other siblings were killed in Ethiopia and the overflow. So I said, uh, oh, wow. Okay, I'll give you another chance. Let's fly him up. I'm going to control the prototype. Long story short, we had the prototype. And uh, I remember two of us who were both CPAs. Now, CPAs are, are at least in theory, we're supposed to be pretty good with money. And we're supposed to be pretty good at projecting. So I remember us, the two of us sitting down, and we came up. And in those days, there was a piece of equipment that had a great brand name out called Solaflex. And if you remember right, it was a tower-type design, but absolutely pathetic anatomically as far as building strength. But they had a great name. And and so we thought, well, this would be a very cool piece of equipment for apartment dwellers. Space conscious. One major thing to show you how brilliant I was, I forgot who lived in apartments. In those days, it was young people. And if young people were going to work out, they weren't going to pull it out of the closet. They wanted to go to the gym to kind of check out the females that were also at the gym, right? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: (laughs) So we we go and we think $300,000 is going to get us to the pay window. Uh Well, it was $4.2 million later. So it was quite the the lesson of just life and how you can sit down, calculate out what you believe is going to be your expenditures and your revenue, but without testing, you have no idea. And that's one of the things I've learned in life is I have no idea. I can count. That's not a problem. I can keep books. I can tell you if the books are on or not. What I can't tell you is the unknown and unknown only comes by testing. And so I learned really valuable lessons in Boflex about testing. Be able to test in amounts that won't tip you over, to validate it, and then expand the test. And if all that works, then pretty soon you're at a place where you go, it's a go. And so I ate a lot of crow in those days. Unfortunately, I was the guy who raised almost every dime. My buddy who I brought on with me that I let him be the CEO. He was really good at cost accounting, and I hated cost accounting. So that's where you count all the nuts and bolts and everything, right? I hated that. So I let him be the CEO, and um, I think it was also part of the criteria there was I asked him to spell the word marketing, and if I remember right, he didn't even start off with the right letter. I'm being facetious. He couldn't spell marketing. He had like zero marketing, which is half art, half science. Mm -hmm. But it really is an art and testing, coming up with ideas. And so that was my real lesson. And so I took over all the marketing, and I also raised all the money. And uh, I remember people always saying to me, wow, that Bowflex, that was an overnight success. And I went, so... Where were you during the 10 years that the success happened? Granted, it's like a lot of startups when they are successful. Uh, Boflex was a rocket ship ride. And I remember our investors, their annualized return was 148%, oh. which was, uh, I remember this kid, his name was Mike, and Mike uh, ran a little latte shop. That he leased space from Albertsons. And I would run into him every morning when I had to work. That's where I'd stop and get my coffee because he was there at 6 a.m. And Mike had a little bit of uh, a speech issue. He stuttered. And I became really good friends. I just liked him. Can't really say why. It's just one of those things inside me. I liked him. I enjoyed talking with him. Um, I didn't let her stuttering bother me one twit. And one day I remember uh, we had come to the point we needed another 2.5 million for Boflex. And in those days, I think the minimum on NASDAQ was 5 million. And I knew a person up in Vancouver, BC, and uh, they introduced me to a brokerage firm. And uh, we decided with that we would do a shell on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So a shell is just a company that at one point was public. It had all the public registration done, but it really didn't have a product, didn't have any assets in it. So they call it a shell Corp. So we put an agreement together with this shell Corp, and we were going to go public on the Toronto Exchange. And um, we did that. And we came out of a buck and a quarter. And we had a restriction on our shares as part of the deal that said I couldn't sell anything for one year, and then I could do one-third over the next two years. So one-third, one-third, one-third. Mm-hmm. And when we opened up after we got public, it immediately fell to, on a, on a fairly steep slide, it went down to 15 to 10 cents. And I remember the day I stopped at Mike's to grab a latte. And I said, Mike, um, we had come back up to about, uh, or no, we were at the 10 cents. So we had to come back up even to 15. I said, Mike, you know, if you have any extra money this might be a time to buy BoFlex. So I remember Mike told me the story later that he borrowed some money from his mom and he scraped together everything he could and his entire amount was $10,000. So at 10 cents, he bought 100,000 shares. Now I'll let you do the math, but I'll tell you the math is pretty significant. We ultimately went uh, up to 20 bucks a share on the Toronto. Then I made a move to the NASDAQ did a million shares at 20 bucks to raise us 20 million we never needed another dime from then going forward and then eventually we end up on the new york stock exchange but in the meantime on nasdaq we end up splitting three for two every time we went over 40 and we did that three times and the math uh, to kind of make it easy for those guys who aren't accounting people Well, Mike, uh, probably conservatively, as he pulled money out, he still walked away with over $10 million on a $10,000 investment. But see, he had to be willing for the risk. Mm -hmm. You still have to. You don't get the hindsight to go back and do it. You have to take the risk then. And I just remember how thrilled I was for Mike because his goal was to own a water sports business in Florida where his mom lived. And he told me one time that he had enough to pay cash for this water sports business, bought his mom a new home, him a new home, and he had enough cash for the rest of his life. Wow. And that's just kind of one of several of those stories that did take place. You still in touch with him? Pardon? You still in touch with him? No, I'm not anymore. Yeah. Uh, Lost it several years ago. And once you dive out, I tried going on. I'm not much of a Facebook guy, but I tried going to find him and just because I thought it'd be interesting if I could touch base with him again. Yeah. But that was just one of several stories that happened in there that truly was a miracle. Wow. And then Boflex, boy. The things that I did there, things I never told anybody. Um, I remember I didn't have any direct marketing. I didn't have any marketing. I had two marketing classes in all of college. I had no marketing experience. And um, I remember hiring a consulting firm because we're going to do direct marketing. And I had no idea what we're going to do, so we hired this consulting firm. And I remember in our discussions, they told me if uh, BoFlex was over $500, uh, there's no way we'd be successful. And I had the audacity to just ask them a very simple little question. And I said, well, have you ever tested that? And you would have thought I touched the holy grail because it was amazing the response I got back, like, give me a break. We're the consultants. You're the client. We're going to tell you it's over 500 bucks. Not happening. What they didn't know is that we were also trying to test demographic. Like I had no idea who really would utilize the Bowflex. Remember I told you I thought apartment dwellers, but then I did get an epiphany of going, Woo, I'm fairly young. If I was going to lift weights and I want to put on muscle... I'm going where the girls are. So who was it? I, I'm not hiding out in my closet in my house. Yeah. So, in that process, we found out that we were going to test the demographic and find out who would buy it. And it really was only men 55 and older that wow. were interested in the test in our product when it first came out. Yeah. Well, what they didn't know is when we picked that demographic, I tested uh, the price of the Boflex. So I tested 4.99, 6.99. 799 and 899 and uh 999. So I skipped the $899. You want to know what the difference was between those when we finished the tests? Less than one percent. So you didn't even have to be in an accountant to go, would I like to have $499 or would I like to have $999? Obviously, that was really simple. And people, I never shared that because I didn't want them to know how. You I say less than one percent.
0: Are you talking about less than one percent of the people chose? They chose this less than one percent between each of the price brackets. Of oh, the people. oh, I see. So the, the total population each one. got it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah.
1: And less than one percent. So I said you didn't have to even be an accountant to say, "Well, I'll take the nine ninety nine over the $4.99. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing I did that was unknown to them. The other thing I did was obviously when you're on TV, you're pulling down leads. So you do a 60-second commercial. Ultimately, you would do infomercials, but you don't do infomercials first because that would cost you about seven, eight $800,000 to create an infomercial. So in our particular case, uh, we did 60-second commercials. So one of the things that was going to be vitally important to me was what would be my conversion rate. So from the number of people who watch your ad and then respond to the ad most of them are responding for more information not to in those days they did not make a direct sale probably only about five six percent would buy off the first tv commercial other than that they wanted more information so i asked the guys i said how long is each of these leads how long are they viable So the next thing we did is I wanted to be able to test uh, how long the lead would be good because that would be vital because you got to take a lead and then you ultimately have to convert them to a sale. And in the very beginning, um, they were telling me, I asked them again, you know, how long was the lead good? They said 90 days. That's it.
0: Three months. I mean, 30 days. Yeah, 90 days. But but, are you, like, when you're going through this, this process and these, these business gymnastics, right, are you getting pushback from inside your own company?
1: No, not from inside our own company because nobody knew anything. And we we're just accountants and, yeah. We had one marketing kid, the kid that was the model for Soloflex we hired when he graduated from WSU, but he didn't really know anything about marketing. So, no, I'm not getting pushback from there. I'm getting pushback from the consultants. So the consulting group we hired. Yeah, but you're paying them. Right.
0: So it's like, yeah, yeah it's like, cool. It's like
1: yeah, so at the same time, what they didn't realize is I began a testing process. So I tracked those same leads they said to me would be dead after 90 days. I tracked them. You want to guess what? how long they went out? Mm-hmm. Nope well at 12 months i was still profitable on that initial block of leads incredible i never shared that at all it's one of our trade secrets never shared it with brokers never told them how we did all that kind of stuff but that's why we were just an unbelievable cash cow and a rocket ship ride so you guys were
0: you you guys were you you guys were literally like well not you guys you we're running a um you were it's it's not even a gamble at that point what you're doing is you're doing absolutely 100% calculated risk yeah
1: that so the whole key with with the testing was I was willing to do that
0: mm-hmm.
1: i'm telling you i was literally blown away when i finished that 12 month test so it took me 12 months but when we would track everything meticulously, and I found out that we were still profitable by accumulating a whole year's worth of leads, and you still had profitable sales on the initial group. Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. Yeah. And so we were probably, what well, I never told anybody about it because I didn't want anyone else who was doing direct marketing to remotely know what I was doing uh, because I'd never run into anyone that gave me that kind of consulting. Yeah. And so out of the blue, just by testing. And that that's where I'm talking about, Jeff, where you have a premise and you can have a thought. It can even be a good thought, but test it. Because I realize I'm not as smart as I really think I am. And testing will prove to you what the reality will be, or most likely will be. And that's how uh, I remember us when we hit um, 500 million in annual sales on the BoFlex. And we were netting a little over a hundred million in our pocket. That's why we were a just a phenomenal cash cow. Yeah. That was just unreal. So that's kind of a little story about where BoFlex went and we eventually bought Nautilus. Nautilus is an interesting story because Nautilus is a that's a that was a big that was a big, well named company in itself. Number one brand in that space yeah. was Nautilus. If you remember, I didn't. I remember when I would travel around and I would check with the hotels see if they had workout equipment. And I always say, "Hey, do you have Nautilus equipment there?" "Oh, yeah, we do." But you get there, and it really wasn't the Nautilus
0: brand. Well, it's kind of like Kleenex. Do you have, do you have some Kleenex? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So then you acquired Nautilus on top of that. Yeah, there was an opportunity. It's kind of
1: amazing. I'll try and be really quick. I had the idea like maybe four years, five years before we ever did put the deal together with Nautilus. And I had looked up and Nautilus had been sold to a a publicly traded company. And the auditors happened to be Pete Mark Mitchell. And I thought, what if you were direct marketing, but you had a brand name like Nautilus right in our fitness wheelhouse, everything. Mm -hmm. So I, Worked through the partners at Pete Marwick and I arranged for a trip back to Georgia where this company was located. And I remember getting laughed out of the room because I went there to pitch Bowflex buying Nautilus. And they just literally laughed me out of the room. Well, I was there for the second go around when I did buy Nautilus. And most people thought that Nautilus bought us. But Nautilus had gone from 100 million to 10 million. Losing 8 million. They still, what amazed me was their brand was still protected. I did lots of research on the brand prior to making the offer to buy them, and they were losing 8 million. So we offered uh, 17 million. And my board kind of had their eyebrows significantly lifted as I presented the deal. And they said, Why would you do that for a company that's 10 million gross, losing 8 million. And I said, because they didn't destroy the brand. And we're going to be able to utilize the brand right off. Well, in that next nine months, after we did put the consummation of that together, we did the same 10 million, except we netted 800,000. Dynamic turnaround. Same 10 million gross, going from 8 million loss to 800,000 on the plus side. Mm. and I knew we were off to the races, and of course, they built the, and selected the Nautilus brand to be then the company brand, so they called it Nautilus on the New York Stock Exchange, but most people thought Nautilus bought us, not the other way around, and then we eventually built it back up both, um, they, they didn't really have a home division, uh, so they just had a commercial division, but we built their commercial division back up, and then we sold that piece off, because we weren't really in the commercial business. We're in the home gym fitness business. And then they kept that brand for a long time. And then we bought StairMaster and Schwinn Fitness and had a great group of companies. And I remember the day the company became, it had a net worth of a market cap value of $1 billion. It was phenomenal. I mean, it's just a little company, right? And back in those days, that was a big market count right. value. Not like Apple with a trillion dollars, but I remember when we hit a billion, I was just going, wow. Just think about that. Just yeah, a kid from Wenatchee,
0: Washington, yeah. you know, who didn't know much. Wow. Anyway, it was an amazing story. So then um, you fast forward to now, right? Um, um, I had a friend of mine who was, killed at extortion 17 and um I was a pallbearer at his at his funeral and um then I remember another another teammate of mine Mac who you know really well and uh and the, the three of us were talking about it I'm not quite sure how that conversation went but you got an idea for something from something that Lou did at his at his funeral, which was something I had never seen before, which they played a video that Lou had made for his wife and his kids, and it was amazing video. It was, you're in this room with a whole bunch of team guys, and it and everybody, was, I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. Listening to Lou communicate to his wife how special she was and to his kids, you know, how awesome they were and what he thought of them. And, um, and it, you know, he's wearing his military military uniform can see the clocks along the back wall you definitely know he's not in the u.s and then when the worst of the worst happens they still had that video and uh, and i remember we were we were uh we were having that conversation and uh um you got a phenomenal idea that's now in it's 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 loaded into the breach And you're getting ready to pull the trigger on it. In fact, it's an app-based thing, and the app is out there now. Talk to me about that. Well, you're right. Um, I I remember being in Coeur d'Alene,
1: Idaho, at my buddy's place at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I got a text from you. And I remember just what I did know about you. I remember
0: thinking, what year was that? Year was extortion 17, man. I am 2011. Yeah, 2011. That's right. That's right. Like
1: August 6th. And I remember getting a text from you and saying to myself, I mean, I'm enjoying my cup of coffee. The lake's beautiful. And I'm thinking, whoa, he's lit up. And so I called you. And then you told me the story. And like so many uh, warriors, We think if we're there, we could have made the difference. And I remember you saying to me, telling me about Lou, and you saying I should have been there. And I remember, I don't know if you remember me asking this question, and I said, okay, Bram, so let's say you were there. Where would you be? And the reality is if you'd have been on that helicopter, extortion 17, you'd have been dead
0: just like the rest of them. Yeah. I don't think I was, I think I was like, I just, you know, just wishing I could have been there, you know, with him just because he was a pivotal part of my, of my career. Cause he was there for me and welcoming me into a new command. And he was always so great to me. And, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that, you know, it is, it's like, you know, wishing and, and the reality of it are two different things, you know, um, and I remember when, when another buddy of mine was killed in Benghazi, that's the one where I was like, that one, yeah, you know, that, that one, that there was a little bit different because, um, um, there was, there was actually firing maneuver there, you know, with, with what happened with Lou, there wasn't any, you know, it was just, it was just a, a helicopter getting smacked out of the sky and, um, but your you, uh, what you are doing with that, that thought of what Lou did and the way that he was able to create something that would, that would stand in his, and nothing's going to replace him, but to be able to stand in that place, um, I think is incredible. Well, what it, what it showed me, I'll tell you what went through my
1: mind is uh, when you were telling me the story and, and this is not the story when he got killed, but the story of going to the funeral. And you told me what happened. I immediately flashed back to my friend in Vietnam, uh, my high school bud, uh, whose little boy would never get a chance to hear his dad's voice. Mm -hmm. And Linda would never get to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. And, And it hit me so heavy. And I was thinking about the outcome. When when Lou did that video, and when you said there was not a dry eye in the place, which by the way Joe Masalta told me the same thing, uh, there just wasn't a dry. And when you take a group of tough warriors, and there's not a dry eye in the place, it tells you the impact. That Lou's statement to expressing his love to his wife, who he would never see again, if that ha- if that video was going to be seen, and Man he was dead, and for the the. Message he left for his two little boys. Uh, Of course, I'm a dad with kids. And I mean, I have tears just rolling out of my eyes because I'm so moved. And thanking God, really, that he chose to leave that video. It's kind of a check that box moment. It wasn't that we go around thinking we're going to die. And I think of missions all the time. I I remember going around Vietnam thinking, well, I, I think tomorrow might be my day. You just don't think about that. But the reality is, as we live life, any day could be our final day. And for him to take the time to make that video recording uh, for his wife and those two little boys were just Mm heart-wrenching. So when I had the deal about my buddy realizing he never got a chance to do that, didn't really think we didn't have the technology. But this whole vision was cast around what would that be like? We've allowed everybody who has children or grandchildren, regardless of occupation, to be able to create messages just in case. Because we're all born. It's just we know we're gonna die. So we just is, have no idea what about is the day the, or that. So hour. what is the name? Ah, the la- name is Life's Final Thoughts. Life's Final Thoughts. And on this particular app, which will be the first of two apps the release date is identical, and that is the day we pass away. And the, all videos that are created within that platform will be for that day. Mm. The second uh, app that we're going to have, oh, in two, three months, it will allow various release dates. And I'll just give you an example for me. So I have created three videos already for all my grandchildren. So I have 12, up, 12 grandchildren. And one of the last videos I'm doing is their wedding day, not even knowing if they're going to get married, but I already know what I would say. And can you fathom, let's just use Lou as an example. If he would have had this technology, he would have been the kind of guy who would have made additional videos mm-hmm. for college or a wedding like that. Mm-hmm. And you imagine one of your kids getting married? Let's say you're gone, but you've left them a message and mm-hmm. All of a sudden, five days before that great day of them getting married, up pops you. And here you are, you have words of wisdom again about being a dad, about, you know, loving your wife, working hard, all the tips of life. You get to make them. Mm -hmm. Can you fathom what that would be like? And that's the vision that went through my brain is that's why I decided life's final thoughts. And I also wanted this. I wanted that we've all attended funerals. But how great is it if you told your final story, not someone else getting up and say, well, I'm going to tell you what Bram would have said. How about we just hear from Bram? And he gets to do it. So what I did is I created this so that one of the videos we really encourage people to make is as if, as if you're gone. Mm -hmm. And what you do, we call it just in case. And what you do is you get to, be at your own funeral just like Lou did. You guys had no
0: idea that was coming. I remember that for some of the stuff that you were doing just for your marketing just getting people to understand what the process was. Yes. And what they were going to do you, you called me and you said hey can you do a video um, for you know your wife and your kids and so uh, and I did that and it was super hard to do at first I was just like ah, I'm just going to do it," and then but you know five minutes into it it starts getting a little bit heavy and um, and none of them even knew that I had done this until <laughs> you and I are on the phone one day. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, boy. She's like, hey, so uh, that video you made, you know, Robin, after you after, after you, you die, well, Robin, and I, I look over at Robin, and she's like, what? I'm like, I'll explain later. I'm like, thanks, Sandy. You're yeah. like, yeah,
1: sorry about that. <laughs> that, was, that was, yeah, un- unreal. I had no idea you didn't share that with her, but that no. video, when I let people watch it, they were brought to tears and they don't even know you. Yeah. Because they could they could feel every bit of the emotion and just your love and your advice that you would be imparting. I'm I'm telling you Jeff, it's unreal. It and was that's hard what I think. Do. It's very hard to do. Yeah. It was so it, hard to do. Yeah. Cuz yeah. you don't realize it until you start visualizing if I'm doing my final goodbye and I think the thing that really triggered me was In our pullout of Afghanistan, when those 12 Marines and that one Navy corpsman Mm -hmm. were killed, um, that's when I decided to get off my butt and start really working on this. Because I realized their parents never got to say goodbye. Yeah. And that should have never happened.
0: So this is an app now, and it's available. It's called Life's Final Thoughts. Life's Final Thoughts. They can get it on the App Store. Yes, App. They can get it on Apple or Google. Right. Right. Uh-huh. And then it's uh they 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 buy it's like 50 bucks or something like that or
1: no, it's it's designed to be if you just want to make one video it's $5 and then we have packages so what you buy three videos, five videos, 10 videos. 10 videos it's 40 bucks a year and we do all the storage and we do all the communication to make sure we never lose the contact so that when that day does happen you can have absolute surety that the video will be delivered to yeah. the person you
0: want. Wow, it's awfully cool. Yeah, that's uh, that that's amazing, and 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 uh, and trying to get that available and and in the in the hands of our military members, first responders, and well, quite frankly, anybody. It's yeah, it's anybody that has yeah. children or grandchildren, especially. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. But, um, um Sandy, thanks for. Being here, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they? How can they find you? If somebody wants to just reach out to you and say hi, or maybe you said something that they really just don't want me to know about, but they just want to reach out to you, is there a way somebody can reach you? Do you have uh, social media of some sort? Well, I I do have social
1: media, but uh, I just assume they uh, just email me. Email you? So it's Sandy Mm -hmm. S A N D Y, of course, uh, at uh, Time Capsules. Time Capsules app. Dot com. So time capsules plural app, app dot com. Okay. Right on. Yep.
0: Awesome. S- yeah. Thanks for being here today. Well, I appreciate it. it. I sure thanks for taking I, the time. It's always nice to reminisce. It's uh I heard I heard bits of the story I'd never heard before. And uh that was awesome. So um so thanks for being here. You bet. We love you, man. Love you too, bud. Ram Radio, Stay ages.